All right, we are back. We should take up this issue of what happened in San Francisco regarding the Olympic torch. Yours truly was in Marin uh, on, on that Monday last week. And although I thought to go join a friend in the city, uh, I was a little apprehensive about the possibility of traffic jams. And thank God I didn't try and get over to the Civic Center because they moved the, uh, the Olympic torch procession or whatever it was to Van Ness. I would have gone right into the teeth of it. But it's a crazy story. People went down to show their support of China in holding the Olympics. There was an article in the Forum in the Sacramento Bee written by Ivy Lee, retired sociology professor from uh, CSUS. And, and I must say, I, I disagree with Professor Lee, who said in the article, Tibet is mythical as it exists in the Western mind. The real Tibet, rather than Tibet as Shangri-La, from which the current Dalai Lama fled, was a feudal theocracy where he served as both king and religious leader, in which church equaled state and peasants were chattel owned by the monks and nobles. Well, I'm sorry, Dr. Lee. Tibet was an independent entity until it was invaded by the Chinese communist government. And whatever its deficiencies, it then became a subsidiary state occupied by the communists, which it remains today. Although we have to agree with Dr. Lee that uh, the way Gavin Newsom handled this, which was to, to move the proceedings to where nobody knew where they were taking place, was just a disgrace from every way you look at it. It disappointed people that wanted to support uh, the whole torch procession. It disappointed people that wanted to, uh, to voice their protest. And it was just, you know, typical of this knucklehead. Who, though he would like to be governor, we'd like to remind you, back in 2004, thought that the election year was just the perfect time to promote gay marriage on the steps of City Hall. Yes, during an election year when that was just red meat for Karl Rove to get the voters to turn out in all those red states and blue states as well to reelect George W. Bush. Now, I know an awful lot of listeners support gay marriage, and, and that's just fine, but you have to question the timing, the political timing, and the wisdom of promoting that that year. Well, at least I certainly do, as I again question his wisdom and how he handled this matter of the torch procession. On a lighter note, I had to note to Parade Magazine's What People Earn annual report. Very sad to note in the cover that a man, a farmer in West Salem, Ohio, makes $30,000, while a psychic from Albuquerque, New Mexico, makes $38,000 a year. And although I was dismayed to note that Trouble, Leona Helmsley's dog, apparently earned $12 million last year, I was somewhat gratified to note that a man described as a hospital clown only earned $28,000 a year. If this can serve as a deterrent to people who wish to become clowns, that, that may be a good thing. Here's a story we've been wanting to get to for quite some time. Uh, surprisingly, this is the cover story of Time Magazine's April 7th issue, article by Michael Grunwald titled The Clean Energy Myth. And right on the cover, this article does not pull punches. It says, Politicians and big business are pushing biofuels, like corn-based ethanol, as alternatives to oil. All they're really doing is driving up food prices and making global warming worse. And you're paying for it. The article asks the very legitimate question. Ethanol increases global warming, destroys forests, and inflates food prices. So why are we subsidizing it? The article then takes a look at what's going on in Brazil, in the Amazon, 
It starts out in, in a Cessna, a mile above the Amazon, with a farmer looking down on the scene and noting that um, as uh, men below were converting rainforest into cattle pasture and soybean fields, um, the government of Brazil, for its part, announced that deforestation is on track to double this year, making Brazil now the fourth in the world in carbon emissions, most of its emissions coming from deforestation. And what is causing this? Well, this land rush is being accelerated by the biofuels craze. Some stats from the article. Notes that uh, one person could be fed for 365 days, that's one year, on the corn needed to fill an ethanol-fueled SUV. Yes, apparently one tank full. In the last six months of last year, Brazil lost 750,000 acres of rainforest, equal to the entire area of the state of Rhode Island. I highly recommend, dear listener, that you check out this article. Mr. Grunwald has done his homework, and he's writing uh, without pulling any punches, saying, among other things, that corn ethanol, always environmentally suspect, turns out to be an environmental disaster. Adding that even cellulosic ethanol made from switchgrass, which has been promoted by eco-activists and eco-investors, as well as, of course, by President Bush as the fuel of the future, um, looks considerably less green than oil-derived gasoline. Meanwhile, the uh, increase in corn prices have sparked tortilla riots in Mexico City. And uh, the, some of the fallout have caused flour prices to follow, and, um, which is causing some riots in Pakistan as well. A country uh, not noted for being especially tranquil even when flour was affordable. Here's the strange punchline of the article. The basic problem with most biofuels, it notes, is amazingly simple. Given that researchers have ignored until now the fact that using land to grow fuel leads to the destruction of forests, wetlands, and grasslands that store enormous amounts of carbon. Yes, that's right. When they did the math on how environmentally friendly it would be to plant things and harvest the fuel, they forgot to include the fact that there was already an ecosystem in place that was fixing carbon. Sadly, one group that had been all in favor of biofuels was the National Resources Defense Council, the NRDC. Apparently, the NRDC's Nathaniel Green, whose optimistic growing energy report back in 2004, helped galvanize support for biofuels among green groups. I must confess that a few years back, we were talking to the NRDC about coming on this program and talking about some of their, uh, the things they were doing in the environment, and when I found out they were all for water metering in Sacramento, I sort of lost interest. I tried to point out to the person I was on the phone with that if we put meters in Sacramento and save a lot of water and keep it in the reservoirs so that it then can be sent south to fuel real estate expansion in Southern California, it in the end was not saving water but creating a future demand for yet more water. They didn't seem to get this. The same can be said for an otherwise laudable group, Friends of the River here in Sacramento, whose leadership also thinks that water meters are just a terrific idea. Said their president to me on the phone, saving water is always a good idea. Well, to make a long story short, I disagree. It depends on how you save it and who you're saving it for. 
And of course, what you do with the water you do save. But I digress. Back to Amazonia. According to the article, the tribesmen that the author met all complained about hacking coughs and stinging eyes from the constant fires, and they also complained about the disappearance of native plants they used for food, medicine, and rituals. Closer to home, it should be noted that when he ran for president in, in the year 2000, John McCain was the rare candidate who vehemently opposed ethanol as an outrageous agribusiness boondoggle, which is why he, slipped, he skipped to the Ohio caucuses eight years ago. Well, unfortunately for us, he's learned his political lesson in time for this year's caucuses. By two years ago, in 2006, he was calling ethanol a vital alternative energy source. And unfortunately, both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama appear to be on the wrong side of this issue as well. Curiously, Iowa has now so many ethanol distilleries under construction that it's poised to become an importer of corn. And of course, given the fact that there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, someone is paying to support these environmentally questionable industries, and that of course would be... Last December, George W. Bush signed a bipartisan energy bill that dramatically increases support to the ethanol industry while mandating 36 billion gallons of biofuel by 2022. The article asks, why is so much money still being poured into such a misguided enterprise? Why are we going to grow our fuel when it turns out to be such an ineffective use of good cropland that you're really better off growing food and drilling for oil? The sad conclusion of the article is that there's so much political capital now tied up in this, there's so much momentum into this misguided project that the fear is that it simply cannot be stopped. Well, we'd like to take a, a more optimistic stance on this program and note that all of us need to start boycotting ethanol in our fuel. We should talk to gas station owners, we should, uh, we should talk to people that supply this stuff and tell them we don't want it. If Americans won't buy it, the price will fall, and this whole crazy economic scheme, this whole house of cards they've constructed, will come down. This is not the first time we've talked about this issue on the program, and it won't be the last, but this is the first time we've proposed a boycott, which I certainly think we need to do. You know, and, and I'd like to close with something a little more upbeat. So let's do something that was sent to us in an email concerning five rules for men to follow to achieve a happy life. These are five rules as follows. It's important to have a woman who cooks from time to time at least and keeps things tidy. Number two, it's important to have a woman who makes you laugh. Number three, it's important to have a woman you can trust who never lies to you. Number four, it's important to have a woman who loves sex likes to be with you. And finally, rule number five, the most important one, it's very important that these four women never meet. That just about does it for today's show. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Our thanks to David Lamb and our old pal Will Durst. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. Next week is our annual Pledge Drive program, and I do hope that you will do your part to keep this program on the air and to keep this station on the air. 
you can call during my hour next week, you will earn us some credit at the station. But we hope that most importantly, you will contribute sometime during the pledge drive or even now because we're always willing to accept donations. But of course, next week, operators will be standing by. <laughs> <laughs>